Hi, I'm Adriana. I'm an addict. So it's really cool to be up here and have my sponsor speak before me because she's like made all of this. Well, not just her, but like, you know, she showed me the way to make all of this possible for myself. I really couldn't have done it if I hadn't like just given up my own will and done the things that I didn't want to do, which was listen to somebody else. So, uh, <laughs> but I've been in and out of these rooms for a long time. And I've never actually been like fully in them though. Like the first time I went to a meeting, I was like 16 years old. My grandpa took me to one because he caught me falling out of the bed in the middle of the night with a bottle of liquor. So he decided, okay, maybe she has a problem. So he took me to a meeting and at 16 years old, I just like, you know, I just saw a bunch of like old people talking about their wives, losing their wives, losing their house, losing their cars, losing all this, getting DUIs. And I was like, this isn't me. Like I am in high school drinking to have fun alone in the middle of the night in my bedroom. You know, <laughs> I was like, this is normal. This is what people my age are supposed to be doing. So I didn't listen to any of it, obviously. I just like heard a bunch of like miserable people talking about their problems. And I was like, is this like, this is really what people come to do. Like sad people just get together and talk about stupid shit and just like sit in their sadness. That's what I thought AA was all about. And uh, so I didn't think anything else of it for a long time. And uh, so I kept doing stupid things like taking little over-the-counter meds to try to just like get out of my body, you know, anything that would make me feel different than me because that was like the most miserable place to be, you know? <laughs> I just, I, I despised myself from a young age. So anything that I could do or take, like, you know, like 17 Benadryls or a handful of triple C's or something stupid, you know, that's, that's gonna make me feel like shit, but it's gonna make me feel like different. So that's what I wanted to feel, you know? And uh, I wound up getting into other things like cocaine and stuff when I was like 17, 16 years old. And I thought that was normal too, because people like one other person in my high school was doing it. You know, I was like, well, somebody else is doing it. So like, it's okay, that, that makes it okay. But it's, it doesn't, but uh, you can't tell a 17 year old anything. So, I kept doing that stuff, you know, and it was hard growing up because my dad was in and out of my life a lot. He was out most of the time, but he was in sometimes, but when he was, it was really confusing. He spent a large portion of my life either in prison or with a bunch of other women, you know, like strippers and stuff. And so I always looked at it, not that I have anything against strippers, you know, I, I was one once upon a time. Um, well, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I always wondered like, what's wrong with me? You know, my dad wanted to take care of these women and their kids and he wanted to do all this and I wasn't good enough, you know, like growing up, I didn't realize my dad's an addict like me. So I was mad at him most of my life. And uh, by the time I was, old enough to start getting into little things, little drugs and stuff. And uh, my mom couldn't handle it. I went and ran off with my dad because he was gonna let me do these things. He wanted to be my friend more than he wanted to be my dad because he wanted to 
be the good guy in the situation, you know? So I went to live with my dad when I was 16 and he let me do anything. As long as I went to school and like passed, then I could do anything I wanted to. He didn't care. He would buy my weed. He would buy my Xanax. He would do all of that for me. And uh, so it was really toxic though. He was married to this woman who she would get jealous of me because I was taking the attention off of her, you know? And so my dad wound up making me leave. So I went to go live with a boyfriend. And because uh, at that point I was just thinking like, well, my dad doesn't want me. My mom made me go to my dad's. Now my dad doesn't want me. So I'm gonna go here. And then that boyfriend broke up with me and he didn't, he didn't want me. So who wants me, you know? So I fell into like a super deep depression and I wound up having to go to a mental hospital, which is, I guess, normal for a lot of us, <laughs> 5150. And I went there for two weeks and I got out and I went to go live with my grandma for a while. And uh, while I was there at my grandma's house, I started my senior year of high school. And so I knew that I wanted, I heard the song like, you know, smoking in the boys room, you know? So I was like, I'm gonna go smoke in the girls room <laughs> just to fucking say I did it. And I was like, I'm just gonna do it one time. It's not gonna be cigarettes, so it's gonna be weed. It's like, I just gotta do it just to say I did it. So I did it that one time. And then I got like really comfortable with it. And I was like, I can do this. You know, I just have to do it like on lunch break or something. And so I did it on lunch breaks. And then I started doing it in between classes. And then I started asking to go to the bathroom so I could go smoke weed the rest of the class. And eventually, you know, I got caught because I got comfortable with doing it. And so I got expelled on my mom's birthday <laughs> for my senior year of high school at the same high school that like my great grandma, my grandma, my mom, everybody went to high school at. So I was pretty much like a fucking disgrace to my family. You know, they were just hoping that I was going to graduate and be able to, you know, be posted up on the, on the hallway walls with all of the, my family's graduation pictures and stuff. And that didn't happen. So I got sent to an alternative school where uh, I met my kid's dad and <laughs> it was beautiful. And, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we started dating. I started sneaking him into my grandma's window at night and uh, <laughs> running away with him whenever my grandma would get mad at me. And uh, so eventually I dropped out of alternative school so I could go run away with him. And so uh, I ran away with him, you know, and wound up going to the adult high school at 17 years old because I wanted to drop out of alternative school. And then I got pregnant. You know, I mean, what else was going to happen? And uh, so I thought that was just like the most amazing thing that could possibly happen. I was pregnant with my kid's dad who didn't have a job. I didn't have a job. We were living in his friend's fucking living room. I was like, how much better could this be? This is just going to save my life. Like a baby's going to fix everything. And it didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so my kid's dad and I, our relationship got really toxic after that because it was so stressful. You know, I was like, shit, a baby's coming into this now. After, you know, the little like happiness went away and I was like, holy shit, like, what am I going to do? Like, I just turned 18 and this fuck isn't doing shit. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? So, <laughs> so our relationship got really toxic after that on both of our parts, you know? And I would get pissed off at him because he was able to go like do coke and stuff. And I had to sit back and just watch. 
And I was mad. I would like call him like a dirty chunky and all sorts of shit. When in reality, I was just pissed that I couldn't get high with him. And so uh, as soon as I, as soon as I had my son, my kid's dad and I broke up and I started doing like opanas and stuff because I was like, now is an opportunity I can go get high. And uh, it's funny because after I had my kid, they gave like, you know, they gave lure tabs in the hospital because that's what they give you when you have a kid. And so I took a couple of them and I was like, oh my God, I was like, would it be an addict kind of behavior if I snorted some? while my kid is sitting here I was like I was prescribed home so is it really like doing it right am I abusing this and I was like well I'll just sort like half one so I did it and then I was like okay I'm good I don't need any more of these I'm gonna throw away the whole bottle that didn't happen I saved them for later and uh and so then I when I ran out of those I started doing opanas with this guy because uh he was giving me all this attention and stuff and I just wanted like a man's attention. That's like something I craved all of my life after my dad and like my kid's dad and all of these men, you know? And uh, so I just wanted that attention. And the easiest way I could get that attention was from guys who could give it to me who had drugs. <laughs> and uh, so it was like a win-win all around for me. And uh, I started dating this guy. He wound up going to jail for the drugs. And, and so, uh, the next guy that I found was like selling meth. And I was like, okay, he doesn't look like he sells meth. He doesn't look like he does meth. Like he looks normal. He's healthy. He's got meat on his bones. He's got a car. He's got a house. He has a real job and all these friends that are around me. They also look normal. Like they don't look like the fucking posters of like, this is before meth. This is after meth. I was like, these people all look like the before meth pictures, but they're on meth like so maybe I can try it you know so I tried it and I was fine for like the first 15 minutes then uh <laughs> then I you know two days later here I am still in this guy's house luckily my kid was at my mom's but after two days of spending with this guy who was selling meth and I was doing meth with him you know I just like had this bond with him and it was like unbreakable so we start dating and I move in and uh, I don't even know his last name but we had been spending two days wide awake together so like 48 hours is a long time to get to know somebody and uh, and uh, that was great you know um, about a week later I get a letter that says that emergency custody was being taken for my kid and they gave me a court date to show up in court to try to fight for my custody of my kid. He is, he was a year and three months at this time. And uh, so I, I was like, well, fuck, if these people are going to say that I'm doing meth when I'm not doing meth, I only did it for like a week. I'm not doing it. You know, then I guess I'm just going to keep on doing meth. And then, uh, <laughs> and uh, cause that's, that's like a good way to think, you know, when you're on meth, it is. Uh, so like a week before the court date, I was like, okay, I'm going to stop like four days before my court date. So I can go in there and pass a drug test and get my kid back. And then like the day before my court date, I wound up saying, fuck it. And just started using again, you know, and, uh, started doing heroin and, and yeah, that's when I realized like, I have a fucking problem, you know, because I didn't even want to stop. Like I knew that if I can, if I start using again and I can go into court and I can say straight up, like I'm gonna fail my drug test, then 
my kid gets to stay with my mom and I get to keep getting high. That's the way that I was like looking at it deep down inside. But I didn't want to like just straight up, like just tell my mom, like, hey, you can keep him. Like, I'm not even going to go try. Like, I wanted to at least go look like I was trying and then just go in there and say, like, I can't pass a drug test. But I showed up, you know. And so uh, I let my kid, I let my kids <laughs> stay with my mom at that point. I didn't want to take him on this wild ride with me because it just got wilder. It got bad. And uh, after that, I didn't even try, you know, I, I tried to look at it as like a reason to have pity on myself. Like I didn't like I knew that what I was doing to myself was my fault, but I wanted to pretend that I couldn't do any different. Like, this is all I can do. This is all I'm capable of. So I might as well just sit here and be miserable and cry about it. You know, why try making a difference, you know, and uh, so I did that. I sat there and I was miserable for months, for years. And I remember one day, like after I, I started using needles and stuff, and that's when it all went to like fucking shit. Like it just got way worse after that. It was worse. It was bad before, but then I started using the needle and it was just like that was like a whole different addiction of its own like that took me somewhere completely different and I remember one day I was sitting in a hotel room and I had no hair because I shaved it all off when I was in a psychosis I wanted to change my identity and hide from people and then I went and hung out with these people like the next day and they were like what'd you do to your hair like I just wanted to switch up you know I had to <laughs> I wanted to change my look a little bit and because uh, then <laughs> I, I thought they were trying to kill me. I thought they were chasing me through the woods on dirt bikes with chainsaws because <laughs> that's totally doable. You know, try holding a fucking chainsaw on a dirt bike. <laughs> and uh, so I'm in a hotel room, bald, and <laughs> I hold up this needle full of dough. And this was before I even understood the concept of like a higher power. This was before I actually had been to treatment of any kind. I didn't know anything about this. And I held up this syringe and I looked at it and out loud in front of all my friends, I was getting friends, I was getting high with, I said, this is my God right now. Like I'm doing everything that I do in life for this. Like everything that I'm choosing to do is so that I can have this and this controls me. Like that was, I had come to that realization, but I didn't think that I could change that. You know, I still didn't think I could change it. And I'll never forget that though. You know, like that was, that was a moment for me of clarity of a sort. And shortly after that, I, I, uh, I tried committing suicide by sitting in the middle of the road and I was on Xanax and meth and everything. And this was on Halloween. So I was just like super sad. It was my first Halloween without my kid. And it was only my second Halloween being a mother. And, uh, but it was just like, I saw all these kids with their parents and I felt like I was just a piece of shit because here I was without mine. When in reality, I wasn't a piece of shit. You know, I could have made the decision to do something different about it, but I was just like, oh, well, this is me fuck it might as well end it like right here and so I tried you know and it obviously didn't work but I was pissed I was pissed at God I was pissed at myself I was pissed at everything I was pissed at the guy driving the car because he didn't hit hard enough or something and I was pissed at my mom for showing up at the hospital and getting uh, getting me put in a psych ward 
I was like, you didn't even, I didn't want you here. I didn't want you to act like you care or show me you care. Like I wanted you to just like not be around. Like, I don't want to think of the people who care or the reasons that I need to stay here. But, um, she, she showed me, you know, like no matter how bad it was getting, I hadn't seen her in months, but she still showed up whenever it was like the worst of the worst. And she cried. I haven't seen my mom cry in a long time, but she cried right there. And so, uh, but when I got out, you know, that didn't change a damn thing. I got out and I started doing the same shit all over again, you know, immediately. As soon as I got out, I walked to a, uh, a church because I didn't want to go home. So I walked to a church because I knew the doors were open and I used their phones to get on Facebook and message some of my friends that I could get high with. And they came and got me and I immediately went and got high with broken ribs and everything. You know, like all I wanted to do was get high. And that lasted for like another two months, just running around, like stealing cars to live in because I didn't have anywhere else to go. And I could sell those cars for dope, stealing everything that I wore, everything that I ate, any of that. And I had this crazy moment one time where I got robbed and um, like for the, the car that I stole, I got robbed for a car that I stole and, uh, and I had like nothing, you know? So I'm walking into a Dollar General in a town that's like two hours away from my home. And I'm like picking up all this shit to go steal. I'm getting like a new outfit. I'm getting in the Dollar General. I'm getting a new outfit, a new purse, some fucking peanut butter, some mandarin oranges, some Gatorade, you know, stuff that I'll need to like survive for like two weeks. And uh, <laughs> this guy saw me and he was like, can you afford all that? Because I looked like shit. I mean, like I hadn't slept in like a week. And I was like, honestly, no. So he bought all that stuff for me and he bought me gloves and he bought me like a hat. It was like November and he like gave me a ride, you know, and like somebody, somebody placed that guy there at that time. And I just like thought, you know, there is something out there that's looking out for me, making sure that I can survive out here. Like somehow I survived through all of that. I like had food in my stomach to keep me alive. I had some sort of like shelter to keep me warm and alive, you know, like something was doing that and it sure the fuck wasn't me. And um, shortly after that though, I, I went to jail for a good little period of time. But um, I was honestly grateful to go to jail. It was cold outside, it was December 27th and it was cold. And I remember spending Christmas walking around in the streets like just sad I, I didn't have a phone to like call any of my family I couldn't do anything I had like a fucking duffel bag and I was just walking just thinking like what the fuck am I doing it is Christmas you know and um so yeah on December 27th I went to jail and I was just grateful to get in a bed and to have food and like socks to put on and clothes that didn't smell like shit because I hadn't been wearing them for fucking two weeks straight. And that moment like was the beginning of my life changing, really, really changing. Because while I was in jail, I like, I like came to a little bit. I realized like, I'm, I'm happy in here and my family is like sleeping peacefully at night. I can make calls to them and they're not worried about me. You know, they know where I'm at. I know that my kid is safe. I don't have to worry about him. I know that I'm getting a meal at four o'clock in the morning, but I'm getting a meal. 
you know, and my, my clothes are clean. And I was like having a good time with these girls in there. I was cracking up, you know, making jokes, laughing. And I was sober, you know, I didn't have any drugs in there and I was happy. I was like, dude, if I can be this fucking happy in jail, sober, like how much happier can my life be outside of jail? So, so, uh, but <laughs> there's always a, but when I got out, I, uh, I was out for like three days and I, I wanted something different. I'd like written out all these nice little plans, you know, these goals, things I was going to do, appointments I was going to make and all this and that and the other. And it sounded good. It looked good on paper, but I got too excited when I got out and I just wanted to like hang out with my friends that I'd missed. I didn't want to hang out with my family who had actually been answering the phone the whole time I was in there. So I went and I hung out with those friends and I went to jail three days after I got out again. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, yeah, while I was in there that time, I actually did do things a little bit different. And I made plans to get out and to go to a sober living, well, a halfway house, not really sober living, but a halfway house. And I stayed there for like three weeks, three weeks, something like that. And then I got tired of the, the rules. I got tired of all the, all the shit that they were telling me to do. And so um, my dad gave me a chance to go to his house and I knew that like, oh, I can like pop open a beer with my dad. Like, he'll be cool with that. You know, I can do that with him. I don't have to like use my drug of choice, but I can drink a little bit with my dad and I'll be cool. So I went to go live with my dad and I started, you know, just drinking a little bit. Then somehow I found my, my drug of choice. Like as soon as I started drinking a little bit of beer with my dad, I started fucking doing meth and doing heroin again. And that led to another fucking rock bottom for me, a different rock bottom, but another one. And um, I was, I was like getting to see my kid a little bit more at that time. And so uh, I, I was thinking like, as long as I get high and like, just stay at home and get high, or I just get high when I'm going to work or I just get high whenever my kid isn't at the house, like it'll be okay. And as long as I'm just snorting it, like it'll be all right, you know? I can snort it when he's around and then I can like shoot it when I'm at work. That'll be fine. That's a good little method. And um, that worked for like three days and then it just, and then it just kept getting a little bit worse. So I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna mix it with like, meth and heroin I was like because I'm getting a little too tweaky I need to like calm down a little bit so I mixed it with some heroin and I was still staying at home most of the time and going to work but that that didn't it didn't last like that very long either and uh eventually I started just shooting all the time I didn't want to be at home because I felt guilty because my kid was there and I didn't want him to see me like that so I stayed out and I didn't see my kid again for like another month or two. And, uh, I wound up going right back to jail. And, uh, that was on the 4th of July of 2019. And that was the last time I went to jail. So it's kind of weird saying like, I went to jail a couple of years ago. Like that's like a record for me. Like, yeah, <laughs> but, um, I rem I'll never forget that time going to jail. And if anybody ever sees that mugshot, it's, amazing because I'm smiling in it but for a good reason like it's not just because I was like oh yeah fuck y'all you got me it's like 
two days before I went to jail that time, one of my, one of my good friends from high school who was doing the same shit I was doing, he wound up getting shot and killed. And so I remember I pulled up to a parking lot at a hotel and I was sitting there in the parking lot. I was talking to one of my friends in the car next in the car sitting next to me. And I told him, I was like, if I get caught doing what I'm doing right now, then I'm going to take that as a sign from God picking me about the streets. So I don't wind up dead like him. And I will literally never forget those words. I, I remember every single word that I said, and I can like envision this in my head as I say it immediately after I said that there was blue lights behind me and I'm in a fucking parking lot at a hotel. But right after I said, if I get caught doing what I'm doing, I'm going to take that as a sign from God picking me up out the streets. So I don't wind up dead. There's fucking blue lights. I get caught. And so I, I was a little irritated. I was like, I didn't mean right the fuck now, God, but I guess <laughs> your timing isn't my timing. I got to deal with it. So I was just like, it was like an ironic kind of smile. Like, well, I can't even be mad at it. You know, like, how can I, I, I asked for this to happen and, uh, <laughs> and it happened. And that was just like a real big eye opener. That was like my higher power speaking to me. And I could have so easily missed him talking to me. I could have so easily not heard that if I wasn't listening. But the thing is like, you just got to listen, you know, and it's so easy to listen. But so many people want to be like, oh, it's just coincidence, bro. Or like, you know, it's just funny, funny timing. But really, that's not coincidence or like, you know, just funny timing. Like, that's like what was supposed to happen. That was like fate. Like, that was going to happen. And like, thank God it did. Because if it didn't happen, if I didn't get caught right then, like, who knows if, I, if I'd be here right now. And because of the, the rate I was going, I wouldn't be. But um, right after that, I, I got out of jail and I went straight to a sober living halfway house, whatever. And uh, I stayed straight for 114 days. That was the longest time I had ever built up to ever up until right now, 114 days. And then I met a guy and uh, he was getting high and I wanted to save him. I was like, just come like, you know, I'll sneak you into my sober living. You can stay here and uh, you know, you'll be sober here. You just have to leave by seven o'clock in the morning. And uh, that didn't work out. Uh, he wound up getting high with me. I wound up leaving with him and it was, it, it was just bad all over again. Um, I overdosed a few times. And uh, the last time that I had overdosed that time, I decided when I woke up, like, I gotta fucking do something. Like, I do not wanna die. I know what it's like to live and be happy and be sober. I don't wanna die, you know? So I called a friend, they got me into a treatment center in Massachusetts. I was out there for three months. I did great, you know? I was like thriving out there. But I, by this time I'd met another guy and he was in prison and he wanted me to come like help him. And he was in Tennessee. I was in Massachusetts. So I took a Greyhound bus back to Tennessee to go help him and be sober. But when a, when a guy in prison is asking you to go deliver dope to him and while you're sober and you think you can stay sober and do it, like it's, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So I relapsed and uh, he broke up with me because I relapsed on his dope that he asked me to deliver. <laughs> so... Um, and so uh, I stayed out in the streets again for like 
three weeks. That was like the last time I stayed out in the streets that time in Tennessee for like three weeks. And then I decided like, I got to do something, you know, I overdosed like four times in this three weeks. And, uh, I, once again, I didn't want to die, you know? So I called the same friend who got me into the treatment in Massachusetts. They got me into treatment in Texas. And while I was in Texas, they asked me where I wanted to go for aftercare. And I told them like, give me as far away from fucking Tennessee as possible. Cause every time I go back there, I wind up doing the same shit and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wind up dead if I go back to Tennessee. So they got me to California and uh, I came out here and I did good for like, two months, you know, because I wanted to do things my way. I want, I did the things, you know, I did some of the things I was asked to do. I did get the sponsor and I, I worked steps one through three. I tried, you know, but I also didn't, I did on my way. Like I, uh, I didn't consider whippets a relapse. So I did some whippets, you know, and who would have thought they are a relapse, you know? So they sent me to detox for them when they caught me with them, which uh, was kind of funny, you know? I get out of detox though, and I I hit somebody's dab pen, and then I, I fell a drug test for THC. And I'm like, oh, somebody had a vape pen. I thought it was just a vape, but it turned out it was weed. You know, I made up this little like stupid lie. Cause I mean, who's gonna mistake a vape pen for a dab pen, you know? But I also was pissed about that because my sponsor at the time was telling me like marijuana is a relapse, you know, because it's a, it's going to control, it's going to alter your mind. And uh, I wasn't doing it for any other reason than to feel a little bit fucked up in some way that I could justify as it's okay because I'm in California and it's legal. And so I was pissed and I pretty much just stopped calling her. I stopped doing any kind of work with her. I stopped checking in with her. And I stopped picking up chips because I did feel guilty. Like I felt guilty about it. And I was like, I don't need the chips. The chips aren't shit. You know, what is time? Who needs that? And um, <laughs> eventually that led to me feeling so guilty that I actually like relapsed like hardcore on my drug of choice. Cause I was like, well, I can just like reset this whole fucking shit. Like instead of having a sober date for weed and a sober date for whippets and a sober date for meth and heroin, all these different sober dates, I'm just gonna start it all over and have one sober date again. And that's not the way to do it by the way. <laughs> so I, I relapsed out here in California and I thought it was gonna be great, you know because like when I moved out here I wanted to be sober like 85% of me wanted to be sober and do the thing. But then like there was this little like, you know, 15% that wondered what would it be like to get high in California? Like, it's gotta be fucking great. I mean, California, the beaches, you know, like <laughs> I can just get high and live on the beach with all these beach bombs and it'll be fun. And it was terrible. It was worse than like getting high anywhere that I'd ever been getting high before. I mean, it's no better at all. And uh, a lot of shit happened, you know, a lot of stupid shit, bad shit that I didn't deserve, but that I needed, you know, like nobody deserves the shit, but we all need it. We needed the shit that we've put ourselves through to get us where we're at right now. And um, so I, I had built such a big community of people like in these rooms and stuff through the months that I'd been here that when I was out, I just like missed all of my 
people. Like that's like the biggest thing that brought me back to the rooms was like missing everybody. Cause I built like a family out here, you know, and a family that I'd never had before a family that I didn't have back home because everyone in here like understands me, they get it, you know, they just want to see us do good. And so I, I came back, I called one of my friends that I had gotten been sober with and told them like, I'm fucking done. You know, like, I'm so sick of this shit. Can you please come pick me up from this hotel? And, um, so she came and picked me up and then she called another friend and that friend called another person who got me into a treatment. And then that person called to get me aftercare set up. Like it all worked out and all I had to do was make one phone call, but these people could see me trying to fucking get myself back on track. And so they wanted to help. They wanted to be there for me. And, um, so that was in November. That was in November of last year that I came back. And ever since then, I've, been doing everything I didn't do before you know I got I got a different sponsor this time not that the other one wasn't working like she was great she just wasn't I I wasn't working with her I didn't have that connection you know and like so I wanted to try something different and I got this sponsor and I started actually listening to her and taking her suggestions I started taking commitments at meetings I started doing the steps even when I fucking hated the work like step four was (laughs) miserable is that my timer is that my timer? <laughs> do I have to stop right now? Three minutes? Okay, I can do that. Um, so yeah, I started doing all of that. And um, <laughs> now I'm under pressure. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm like sitting here doing this, leading a meeting that I never thought that I would be able to do. You know, I was a nervous fucking wreck. And uh, I I had lost so much shit in my addiction. Like I'd lost my license, my car, my everything. And I'd gotten like hep C and all this and that. And now I have a license back. It took a lot of fucking work and a lot of stupid shit and money and stuff I did not want to fucking do. And I have a car now. It has a breathalyzer in it. And I have, um, I'm, I'm about to complete my medicine to like get rid of my hep C. And I'm able to like talk to my kid on like a daily now. And my family is proud of me. Like my family sees me doing these things and they like actually have hope in what I'm doing right now. And I'm still working with my sponsor. I completed my steps and I'm still talking to her and calling her and I love her. I love her to death. She's like one of my like favorite people in this world right now. I tell her everything. Things she doesn't even want to know probably, (laughs) but that's what sponsors are for. So uh, I guess pretty much just, you know, do the things you don't want to do that other people who have time are telling you to do. So I guess that's all I got to say.